Well, it's a good evening here from the studios in Brisbane, Australia, and um, it's Thursday night, and it's actually um, a very special day. It's a leap year day for all those people who are having their first birthday in four years. Well, congratulations. So um, without further ado, uh, Andrina's at the top of the tree today. She's um, got over her little illness from last week, so it's a welcome to Andrina, and it's also a welcome to our guest, and Andrina. Hang on. I just forgot I had to turn my phone off. Oops. Yep. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you, phone, for the reminder. Um, good morning. Good day. Welcome, everybody, to Dreaming the New Dream, especially if you're an old listener, and welcome to the new. And like Jeff said, it's the 29th of February today. A very special day for some. And so, um, say hello to Lucy, who's 12 today, she tells me. <laughs> um, anyway, it's with great pleasure that I'm welcoming Anwin Avalon onto our show, who is currently just up the road in Avalon, not far from me today. <laughs> um, so welcome, Anwin. It's lovely to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Great. Um, so we, uh, Carol and I went to a talk called um, Water Magic. Um, I don't know, it must have been out three, four weeks ago, and I've lost track of time. And um, because I'm a Scorpio and I've got my my son in Cancer and my Moon in Scorpio or something, so I'm I'm water, water, water. So I need to do with water. I just love. So we loved your talk, and I mean, it was just such a fascinating story or journey that you're on. Just amazing. And um, so, hence, after um, listening to you on the show, I invited you to come on the show, and here we are. Um, so you're an author of three books, because I know you've just recently had your third book published, um, and you're a founder of the Water Priestess Training, and you're all about sacred service to the water, which I think is lovely. So it would be lovely for you to share some tips along the way, because whenever I see water, or I'm at the ocean, or anywhere, I always do water blessing, regardless, you know. So it'd be lovely to... Um, hear different things along the way that have brought you to this moment now. So off you go. All right. So to begin in the very beginning. Um, <laughs> um, so just like you had mentioned a few moments ago, um, you're very like your natal chart, your astrological chart is very, very watery. Um, and mine is as well. Um, I have a cancer sun, Pisces moon. Um, I, I, interestingly enough, I have Capricorn rising, which I thank the stars for because I feel like Capricorn is like the sacred earth vessel that keeps all of that water contained. But it's also represented by the water goat. And so it's an earth sign, but the symbol is a goat with a mermaid's tail. So it's like an honorary water sign, <laughs> similar yeah. to it, the way that, you know, Aquarius is an air sign, but it's a, uh, it's called the water bear. Interestingly enough, my mother is an Aquarius, so she was the water bearer that bore this vessel of water, um, <laughs> which is me. Um, so uh, my dad was actually in the Navy, um, and so there's another water connection there. Um, but uh, I was born in California, and then, you know, my parents moved around a little bit, and then eventually um, we land in Florida. 
and I, I spend most of my childhood years in uh, Florida. So from three to about 13, so about a, a decade, about 10 years I spend in Florida. And um, I pretty much spend my entire childhood in the water. Um, it was, I grew up in Daytona beach and the, we were about five, 10 minutes away from the beach itself. Um, there were rivers and creeks everywhere. Um, and we, our house happened to be on the edge of a wetland preserve and my parents homeschooled me. And so as soon as I, uh, would finish with my schoolwork around noon, I'd put on my wellies. And I'd head out into the wetland, into the swamps, and I would stay until dark, till dusk. Um, that was my cue to come home um, or someone hollering through the, the woods at me. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you'll, you'll see right there. It's quite, uh, there's, you can see all these little rivers that, or like all these little lakes and the ocean and everything on that map. That's great. Thank you. Um, but uh, so I spent all of this time in the water. I would catch tadpoles and, you know, I had a whole, I was raising frogs and all this crazy stuff. But another really amazing thing about Florida is there are so many springs and um, the, just the amount of springs that are in Florida. Um, I mean, they're everywhere. They're just absolutely everywhere. And they are, clean, pure, fresh, delicious. Um, and we would oftentimes go to these springs. Um, and I just remember like, I'd get there and I would just head out and I'd be running and, and I'd just jump into that water. And there was like manatees. Um, I remember this one time when I was younger, um, I was actually swimming in the sound. The sound is the um, section kind of, there's the ocean and then there's often a strip of land. And then there's what they call the sound which is like a river that feeds into the ocean. And it's like this brackish water. So it's a mix of fresh and salt. And um, we were, it was, there was a little church youth event and we were swimming in the water. Um, of course, probably now it's illegal to do. Um, <laughs> this is, you know, this is back in, um, you know, the early nineties. And um, I remember we were just swimming and all of a sudden, like these manatees just surround me. Um, and like, they just pop up underneath me and I was just swimming with them and they're just having this amazing um, encounter. Um, but the most, I think, amazing encounter and like a really pivotal moment in my path was um, around the age of uh, puberty, somewhere in 12, 13 years old, um, we were at a place called Rock Springs. And uh, my mom, um, my like our family, um, and then my uh, my mom's best friend's family. Um, we all, lots of kids, big picnic event, big day. And I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but something happened. And um, I got really upset. And I always felt like very constricted. Um, I was this, the family that I grew up in was a very fundamental Christian, um, Southern Baptist. And, you know, there was these, all these rules and these constrictions and, and things that just, I, I didn't fit in with. Um, and so something happened that day and I was really upset and feeling this great injustice that had been, you know, that had been done to me. And I remember running um, and crying. And I ran to the top of the spring. Now, I have to pause for a second because in Florida, when you think of a spring, 
you think of kind of like um, a body of water that's very lake or pool-like with the hole or the, the source of water that feeds it um, being underneath. So it kind of is very much like a cenote where it's very round or roundish um, and it looks very much like a, a natural pool with the, the spring water flowing up from the center. But with what with Rock Springs, what's so interesting about it is it acts more like a lazy river. And so the spring source was um, up against kind of a cliff face. It was like some rocks. And then the water flows out and kind of creates this little river, this lazy river. And people would go and tube. Um, so you, you take your tube and you take it up to the spot where you put it in the water and then you flow down. And this is like the constant thing. Like this is what you do all day. Um, but yeah, that picture right there. Amazing. Um, but in this case, instead of the water flowing like like up from the center, it's flowing out of the side of these rocks and creating this. So there's a place where you get in with your tube, but I kept running and I went up to the spring source. Um, later on in Celtic mythology, I'd find out that um, these sources, um, like where the water flows through, um, is uh, like portals. They're, they're, they're basically portals. Um, well, I'll, I'll try and circle back to that later. So I go up to that place and I jump into the water and I go underneath the water. And the amazing thing about when you put your head underwater is like you can scream as loud as you want and nobody can hear you. Or so I thought. So I jump into this, I put my head under the water, the current starts taking me and I let loose. I just start screaming underwater as loud as I can and just letting this rage kind of pour forth. And I also simultaneously ask for help. Um, something along the lines of like, just save me from this existence, you know, or just save like anybody out there that can hear me, like save me. Like I asked to be helped, I asked to be saved. And immediately after that happened, my foot struck a rock. Um, the top of my foot struck a rock because the, the current, uh, especially up at the source, is very strong. And so I'm, you know, I'm underwater, kind of being pushed along by this current very fast, screaming, crying. And then my foot smashes into this rock. And I remember the pain just radiating through my body. And um, I keep crying and I keep releasing, but I do get this overwhelming sense of like a presence of there being something there with me. And I got an answer in, in my head that was, I mean, it was so long ago, I couldn't tell you word for word, but it was something along the lines of like, we, we have you like, you know, mm. uh, you know, I'm asking to be saved and they're like, we, you know, we'll, we'll help will help. Um, or, you know, like this kind of it, the energy of it, looking back and knowing what I know now, it was very much of like being held. I was asking for help, asking to be saved. And there was an answer. And the answer was, we got, you know, we've got you. Like you belong to, to me. You belong to us. Now, fast forward a little bit. And um, I'm going to skip, skip ahead and I'll come back to this point. But um, later on, I learned uh, like later on, I start studying esoteric mysteries and I learn about the alchemical glyphs and there's four alchemical glyphs. Um, and one of the, uh, the, 
they, they all are, are, are triangles. So one is like the fire is an up, like the point of a triangle is up. Earth is down with a line through it. But water is a downward pointing triangle. So the alchemical glyph for water is a, a triangle with its point facing down. And um, so I... I did not know this at the time, of course, being a 13 year old, um, no clue. But when my foot struck that rock, it was punctured and it formed a scar in the exact shape of a downward pointing triangle. I just thought it was really cool for years. I was just like, I've got a cool scar, you know, from this time I was in the spring and time moves on. Uh, my dad gets a job in Arizona. We moved to Arizona and now I am nowhere near water. Um, and it's rough. It's really rough. So I go through high school um, being a water child without any water. Um, probably the worst time of my life. I mean, besides the fact that high school is for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, it was just really rough. And interestingly enough, I graduate high school and I go into college um, and I start studying fine art at a place called Northern Arizona University, which Northern Arizona University is only 30 minutes north of the very famous Sedona. Mm -hmm. And so I end up spend like living for a few years in Northern Arizona um visiting Sedona quite a bit and realizing that every time I went to Sedona um and being in like near some of these bodies of water because Sedona has a lot of like really magical bodies of water Oak Creek Montezuma as well um there's other unnamed springs um and I didn't know it at the time but this is this is probably why I ended up there is because I needed to have that there was no way I could have done college at like Arizona State or anything like that so now I'm in the forest with a bunch of water again, life is good. And then my sister puts me on a blind date and I end up marrying the guy that we, I go on this blind date with. Um, and we moved to North Carolina and I live in a place called Cape Fear, um, which has is just thick with pirate stories and megalodon teeth and all of this kind of stuff. Um, very, very watery. And I have my son. My son is born there in Cape Fear, North Carolina. Um, and then quickly we get whisked off to Okinawa, Japan. And Okinawa, Japan, another really pivotal moment. Like this is um, probably where the seed for my water priestess path was planted. Um, so I, we moved to Okinawa, Japan. And once again, I am surrounded by water. Okinawa, Japan is a very, very small island off of the... Uh, southern coast of Japan. Um, it's very different than Japan itself. It's very tropical and it's warm. It's 60 mile island. I mean, it's real small. And I lived there for three years. And I'm at this point, I'm teaching dance. Um, and uh, I'm just living, living life in, in Okinawa, Japan. And it is brilliant. It is like one of the best times of my life, like living on this island. Um, there's so many uh, beautiful sacred springs and the water is so fresh. And, and this is also one of the places that um, is, uh, oh, what what's the, there's different places in the world where you, like people live a lot longer because of 
um, the the way that the the landscape and the water and the minerals and just and, and how people eat. Um, and so this is one of those places. So during this time, I start really getting the call to, and, and I'm really young, by the way. I got very, I got married very young, and I had my son very young. So I'm in, you know, I'm like 24 at this point, um, and um, so it's on Samhain. And for those that might not know what Samhain is, it's like around Halloween time. Um, so it's in the fall, which is another very portal type of energy, um, portal time, you know, into the, the autumn and into the, the winter death months, that kind of energy. So it's got a lot of portal energy, but I just, I got this big call to, um, you know, start like studying and looking into and working with other people that were magical. I'd been, I'd been doing some self-study um, into things like tarot and crystals and, and magic and, and spell work and things like that. And um, interestingly enough, there was an American coven in Okinawa, Japan. There's a lot of Americans that live there because of the military. Um, and so I end up um, on um, seeking them out around kind of this autumn time period. And I start circling with them and start, um, you know, doing the wheel of the year and moon circles and rituals and different things like that. And, um, the the thing that's so interesting about this is they the the coven itself the circle um ended up um having a adopt a beach so there was a, this little beach that um they had adopted and their job was to clean it um and take care of it and so i started going out with them and doing this picking up trash i mean we hold hauled so many bags of trash i bet it's mm -hmm. wild Mm. so much um so we end up um you know we go out we do these big beach cleanups but what's so interesting about it is to get to this beach first you have to pass by all of the ancestral shrines um it, it's kind of off the beaten path so you gotta kind of park on the side and then you have to pass all of these ancestral shrines and then you get to a place where you kind of come to a cliff face and when you get to this cliff face there is a shrine it's very plain don't don't let your imagination run wild it's not quite it wasn't very beautiful it was just very plain it was just like cinder blocks um but it was this shrine that was built into the side of this cliff and then to the right of it is a big archway or a tunnel into this particular beach and the reason that they ended up with this adopted beach is the person that helped them the local person that helped them get this 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 adopted beach um knew that you know they were magical practitioners and had a connection with um you know the land and the water and so this was a shrine and a beach dedicated to the sea goddess um and so in order to kind of enter into this beach you would visit the shrine you would lay your offerings down you'd go through the tunnel or the portal into this little cove and so after we cleaned it for a while i started going back on my own and doing my own work. There was a little sea cave um, that um, I would go in and work some magic. And then interesting things started happening. Um, all of a sudden, like I would do a little ritual and then I would find the most amazing um, like sand dollar or, um, you know, these gifts from the sea would be washing up. And um, it really started to blow my mind. And I realized that like there was something there. 
So time turns again and it's time for us to move again. And we end up moving back to North Carolina. And that's when um, I seek out some teachers because at this point I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm on, like, I know that I'm on a path, but I just don't know what that is and where I'm going. So I seek out some teachers and I go through their program um, and I end up going through, I, I complete and graduate and go through my initiatory rights and become a priestess and witch. Which was a really easy word for me to pick up. I was like, yes, I love that. I love making, you know, little candle spells. I love making herbal blends. I love, you know, these hands-on types of things. Like, I, I love, love this. But, um, priestess, whoo, that's a big <laughs> word. That's a really, really big word. And at that time, we didn't have what we call, like, you know, in, what, Instagram and social media and stuff like that, where anybody can just be like, oh, I'm the whatever priestess. And they can just pick a screen name and then all of a sudden they're a priestess. This didn't exist um, back at that point. Um, but I just remember it being such a big word. Like, how how can I, just little old me, how can I, like, be a priestess? Like, how... How can I do that? And then there, there was also, you know, there's a little bit of trauma around uh, churches and priests and this idea of lording power over people and being authority figures. And, and I'm just like, oh, man, I just didn't feel like I could really live up to that. And um, so put a pin in that for a second because we're going to circle back around. <laughs> um, so at that point, I graduate and I've, I've done my I've done my stuff and my teacher um, who is my teachers were very watery. One was a quadruple Scorpio. Um, so that's like Scorpio, 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 Scorpio. Like that's his natal chart. And then, and and the other one um, was uh, Cancerian. So Cancer Sun, um, you know, Pisces rising, you know, like, like very watery, just like me. Um, and so that element was woven throughout. It was an underlying current. Um so I, I finish and um, my teacher, the, um, the lady, uh, says to me one day, she says, you know, Antlin, you know, you know, you're Avalonian, right? And I said, yes, I know this. What's Avalonian? <laughs> <laughs> because she said it and it just resonated with me. Like every cell in my body was like, yes, that's exactly I, yes, I know this. I know that that's what I am. But I had no idea what that was. I didn't come to Avalon through the Mists of Avalon novel like most people do. It, it came through the, this process of, um, you know, learning and studying and being connected to the waters. And then my teacher being amazing and being and like realizing and seeing like, hey, this is this, this seems like the trajectory that you're on. You should explore that. And like a really good teacher, instead of trying to hoard me to herself, she scooted me along, pushed me out of the nest, and told me to go study with um, the Avalon Mystery School, which is uh, was and is still run by Mara Freeman, who actually is uh, in Glastonbury sometimes. She spends a little bit of time in Glastonbury and a little bit of time in Wales. So you may have run into her, or you may. Um, and so I start going through her programs. And through that, I learn about the chalice well and i learned about the white spring uh well i i it's mentioned she mentions the white spring so i i really feel this draw and so i come 
2012, I come to Glastonbury on pilgrimage um, to see the waters of Avalon, to connect with the chalice well. And so I go to Chalice Well and I have my big moment and I meditate and I pray. And, you know, you, you have that. Everyone who's been there for the first time knows that, like, you go in and you have this, like, <sighs> just this lovely, like, spiritual connection. So I leave the Chalice Well and I start wandering up the road because I know that this other spring exists, but I don't quite know what it is. And um, so I start wandering up the road and I'm like, I know that there's another spring. And I get to this little weird building and the side doors open. And <laughs> I just kind of like peek my head in. And what I'm looking at is a dark well house that has been turned into a temple space with shrines. It's all candlelit. There's no electricity. And there's just water flowing throughout, like flowing through the floors, flowing through the whole place. And I just remember being in awe and like my jaw dropping open and just being like, what is what is this like what what is happening and um it, it it changed my life um so i went in and i sat down at one of the shrines and i started meditating and i was like okay you know i've done all this work and i've studied all these things and i've gotten these you know uh, I, i've completed these things and i've gotten these achievements and i've gotten these titles and i've gotten all this stuff but what do i do like what do i do with it right? I'm so young again, my whole life ahead of me, but I have no clue what to do with any of this. And I audibly heard a message to go teach water magic. And I was like, what? What? Like, I can't do that. Like, not me. Like, I, I'm not the right person for that. But I left with that task. And over the next couple of years, I started to really struggle with the word priestess and like how that was gonna like play out in the world for me and i i struggled for a really long time because like i said before it was very much about like i didn't want to lord power over people um or anything like that like that's not what it was so i had to sit with it i i meditated for months and i prayed for months um and asked for clarity around it and finally, I realized, and the message that came through was that you could be a priestess in sacred service. And that's kind of when things started to click. And I realized that I was like, that my path as a priestess was never going to be about, you know, lording power over people or look at how pretty my tiara is. It was going to be about sacred service to water. So I end up giving in to spirit after I resist for a really long time because I even went as far as to find other people that I thought would be suitable and go back to spirit and be like, okay, so I found this person that I think is going to be really great at teaching water magic. Like you should, you should go and, and, and ask them to do it. Like here, here's the information. I've done the research for you, spirit. Here you go. And spirit just kind of smacked me upside the head and was like, no. We said it was you. And, and I was like, fine. So I gave in and I, um, there was a local goddess conference um, where I was living and I signed up to teach a class on water magic. And I did. I taught a class on water magic and it was half of the people were really excited and were like, yes, this is amazing. And the other half were like, we're so confused. Like what, what are, what? 
Um, but it was so new at that point that people didn't realize. And Dr. Emoto's work had just came out. Um, and people like Veda Austin's work, she wasn't on the the um, the radar yet. Um, so like it had, all of this research had just started coming out. Um, but I knew that there was like so much to, to water. I knew that there was more than just it's stuff that we drink um, and stuff that we swim in and stuff that we bathe in. So in order to teach about water magic and to be a really good teacher, I had to figure out how to research. And Spirit nudged me to go back to university, and I did, and I got my um, I got an undergrad in anthropology. And the strange thing about it is, is I showed up um, as an adult going back to, to college. So I stood out, you know, around all these little young kids. And there was this professor, this crazy, crazy professor that came after me um, and just was hunting me down. Every time he'd see me in the hallways, he'd run after me and just was like, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. And he was like hardcore recruiting me to be on his research team. Um, and I I just remember being like so flabbergasted and just so like, why, why does this guy want me on his like research team. I have no idea how to research. I don't know how, any of this stuff. Well, it turns out that he was um, researching ancient cities and he, he was helping to map ancient cities. And um, and what him and his um, graduate team were doing were they were finding the locations of the wells, mm. of where the wells were in the cities. And that is where they started their research because over and over and over again, they would find that the well was built first. And then from there, the markets would be built and then the temples would be built. And they were studying this to find a pattern. So I end up getting thrown in with the graduate students who are like, here's a stack of books. We need you to read them this weekend, look for these keywords, bookmark them and bring them back so we can do our research next week. And I learned how to speed read I learned how to go through pages so fast looking for keywords and they taught me how to do academic research and didn't know it at the time, but that was going to be really important because those classes that I was teaching on water magic, they started to get bigger and bigger until I started to have a really deep body of work. And that turned into my very first big course, which was the nine month water magic course, which ended up turning into my very first book, which is called Water Witchcraft, Magic and Lore from the Celtic Tradition. Perfect. Um, and so this book was actually twice the size when I sent it to my publisher. We had to cut it in half um, <laughs> to that in a second. Um, but uh, they did let me go over word count by 15,000. Um, but this is where <laughs> I was contracted for 50 and I sent them 91. Um, <laughs> You so, had a lot to say. I did have a lot to say, and I'm still not done. There's still stuff that, I've, that I'm working on that has not made it. Um, but this book starts to look at the ancient Celtic people, the landscape, um, the bodies of water that are here in the UK and other uh, and France and, and Celtic areas, Brittany, Cornwall, Wales, um, anything that kind of has this link to what modern day we call Celtic. Um, and 
looking at the folk magic and looking at why were Christian churches built on all of these pagan sites? Why do all, all of the Christian churches and Catholic churches here in England, why do they all have these sacred wells um, or sacred springs connected with them? Um, and, and, you know, why don't they in the new world? Um, and it, it turns out that through this kind of um, deep dive, I found out that like water had been such a central thing for the Celtic, uh, the, the Celtic past. Um, Celtic, uh, Iron Age Celts, they lived on the water in, um, you know, these uh, lake, these lake villages. Um, they were worship like at sacred sites. They were worshiping at sacred sites um, that had to do with water. Um, the Romans came and invaded and they started building their temples on some of these water sites like Coventina's well in um, along Hadrian's Wall or the biggest one, which is 22 miles from here, um, which is Bath. Um, this is this is one of the, the best preserved places. We know that the Celts worshipped uh, the water and the goddess Thulis, the hot spring goddess, at um, a place called Cross Bath. And not too far from that is where the Romans built their huge temple complex to this sacred goddess, this Celtic goddess, Sulis. And then even after that fell into disrepair, a huge cathedral was built on top of it because these sacred sites, especially the ones around water, um, are so potent that when the new, uh, the, the new religion, the new power comes in, the site is not destroyed. It's just kind of the old practices are pushed down and the new practices are put on top, preserving some of it. I mean, it does. there is erasure for sure, but it also preserves it because if the Romans had never preserved um, or, or taken over, we, we might not have ever found Sulis's sacred mm -hmm. spring or known where the Celts worshipped her. So this is a lot of what is kind of in Water Witchcraft. It talks a lot about um, spirits from different lakes, um, lake ladies and Kelpies and um, all of this uh, type of stuff, even the canals. Um, there's a little bit of, uh, of research and, and stuff talking about canals and ghosts. And it really gets into the other world, um, but also brings in an element of folk magic and talks a lot about some of the folk practices that are found around the, uh, the the sacred wells, like the Cludi ribbons, and what those actually uh, what they were, what they did. Um, we used to think that uh, so so modern days. Now you go to these sacred sites, um, you'll see it here in Glastonbury. You'll see it at any other of these sacred wells in, in England. When you go to them, and you find these trees dripping in ribbons, mm. and this is a modern practice that goes back into old folk practices and has to do with the well's healing. So in modern day, like I said, we see these, these trees covered in ribbons. What's happening is people go to these wells and they or these springs and they see um, and feel the power and they want to connect. So they take a ribbon and they, they maybe make a wish or a prayer. Maybe they write on the ribbon and then they tie it onto a tree. Well, this practice goes back hundreds of years. Um, these, these fabrics, these ribbons, would have been called cluti or clouty, depending on the, the dialect. Um, so originally what would happen is think 1617, 1800s, before the invention of things like polyester and lycra um, and you know modern medicine and such, you would go to the sacred well for healing. 
there were like well attendants. Um, some of the wise women would tend the wells. Um, others, uh, there weren't. But basically, let's just say that you had pain in your right ankle. Um, and it was chronic pain and you went to the local healer and you just weren't really getting anywhere. So you would then take a journey to the Holy Well. And sometimes this was done on consecutive Sundays or consecutive Fridays or consecutive Saturdays. There was, there was usually a ritual about it. And you'd, you'd make your journey to the well and then you would tear the fabric off of um, your ankle or in this case, like a sock, right? And then you would dip that into the sacred water, the, the holy well, the spring. And then you would say your prayers, your incantations, and then you would put it back on. And then you would wear that. And then the next week, you would return again. And you would do the same process consecutively for however many times. Until, like, the last time that you visit. In that case, you would tear a piece of that fabric off, or you take that fabric or your sock, and you would either tie it to the tree that was near the sacred well, or you would bury it under a rock. So the idea here is something called transference, which is when you have, it's an old folk practice of when you have a ailment, you would visit these sacred wells and you would work with the sacred well spirit or the spirits of the sacred well or the spirits of the sacred trees or both in conjunction. And you would ask for this healing and then at that end point, when you tie your, your ribbon, your sock, or, or whatever onto the tree, or you impale it onto a hawthorn thorn, or you bury it underneath a rock, the idea is that at the end of this process, you ask for the spirits of the water and the spirits of the local trees to take the illness from you. And so as the rag or the sock or the ribbon decomposes, so then would the illness decompose from your body. So as, as it kind of disintegrates, then that's what's supposed to happen. And this is a, this is something called transference. So, um, so now in modern day, we go and we see all of these beautiful ribbons hung on the trees. And we've missed kind of that idea of the transference and the healing because polyester ribbons don't disintegrate. Mm. They just stay on the tree. So if you're interested in doing this kind of thing um, or recreating it, I highly recommend using things like cotton, flax, uh, so linen, cotton, linen, silk, and recreating these types of things by taking a silk ribbon and wrapping it around your ankle and going to the well and dipping it in the water and rewrapping your ankle and you know, visiting and completing the process until the last point where then you could bury it or tie it on a tree and then it would decompose. Um, so there, there's the, the secret to the prayer ribbons and the Clutie ribbons. There's other things that I found in my research for water witchcraft that really blew my mind. And it was simple things like, why do we throw coins in wells or, or fountains? And I was, I started researching this and being like, what's the point of this? Like, what's the point of throwing a coin into a fountain, right? You're out and about, there's a fountain in the middle of the city, you throw a coin in, you make a wish. What is, what is this? Similar to the prayer ribbon, this is another practice that goes back really far. And when we look at a fountain today, it's usually this beautiful man-made fountain where the water's pumped in. But a fount in, can, like, in the context of 
um, the medieval period or the 1800s would be similar to a spring. Um, and springs are springs and wells have been known, especially through the Celtic lens um, and, and practices um, in the UK, folk practices from England, um, Scotland, Wales, Cornwall, um, and, and continental Europe too, to be honest. Um, ooh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> oh, fountains, that's where I was. Okay, so fountains. Um, so in this context, um, there are these, these, these portals, these, they're places that help you to go into the other world or help water spirits go in and out of the other world. In the case of Melusine, the, the um, French fairy tale of Melusine, um, it talks about um, how she kind of uses these portals. She appears at, you know, at, at a fount in the middle of the forest at midnight. Um, which is a liminal time, a liminal place. Um, but then there's also stories, uh, other fairy tales where wells speak or people fall down into wells and, in, and end up in other uh, portals, other realms, or going into a lake, the Lake Lady's Lake in Wales. Um, going into this lake, you would be able to access the subaquatic realms or the realms of the water fae or the water spirits. So when we take a coin and we make a and we put it into a fountain, this goes back to talking to the water spirits and giving offering. Because who is it that's gonna grant the wish? Not necessarily the universe, it's the water spirits. It's the water that is gonna grant the wish. Um, and so next time you throw a coin into a, a fountain um, and make a wish or say a prayer or ask for something, uh, consult the water and the water spirits um, because that's who is going to receive the offering and that is who's going to answer. So after getting back on track here, after Water Witchcraft was written, um, I took a little bit of a break and I had to chop out those 30,000 words um, <laughs> and they were just sitting in a file on my computer and um, I went on pilgrimage again. Um, and this time uh, I came with the Sisterhood of Avalon and we did a full week pilgrimage, which was just lovely. Um, you know, they bust us to sacred sites, but we stayed here in Glastonbury at Little St. Michael, which is the retreat house for the Chalice Well. And um, I, we had a, a private ritual at the White Spring again. And um, I went back to the same place that I was meditating before and I was like, look, I did the thing. I taught the water magic and then I taught a class and then I taught, a, you know, this nine month course and then I wrote the book and like, now what's next, right? Like, what is the next thing for us to do? And audibly again, I got, you know, right, right water witchcraft, or sorry, sorry, right water priestess, like it's time to finish it. So I furiously finish it up. Um, and that goes to publication. I, I didn't have much to write, I'll be honest. 30,000 <laughs> on my hard drive, just waiting to be transformed and, and moved into um, The Way of the Water Priestess, which was a practical guide. Because the first book was so focused on, on Celtic things, right? Um, and, and the landscape and the waterscape of England, um, Ireland, France, all that. That... Um, like spirit was really urging me, like, what about the people that don't follow the Celtic path? Um, like, like turn this into a guide for people that love water, 
that want to follow water and that want to be in sacred service to water. And so you know, there's a Celtic vein that definitely runs through it. You'll, you'll find that there's Avalon that runs through it. You, I couldn't really take it out, but I did want there to be a guide for people that maybe weren't walking an Avalonian um, path to be able to say, hey, I can do this too. I can go to my local body of water and I can start cleaning it. I can start sacred tending this, this space. I can claim sacred responsibility for this body of water and I will tend it in the physical world by cleaning it, but I'll also tend it in the spiritual world by doing energy medicine or <clears throat> singing to the water. Um, and I also talk about different things like temple arts and also the water in our own body because we are vessels of water as well. So that came out um, 2001 and um, then, then spirit was going to whisk me off again on another crazy journey. And that crazy journey was I was going to be moving to England, but I didn't know it. So uh, COVID happened and things got weird for all of us because, you know, it threw us all off a little bit. But finally, it kind of lifted. And I was like, I need to go, I need to go back. I had promised that I would, you know, visit the, you know, England, Glastonbury, the UK a lot more often. And I couldn't do that because COVID, you just couldn't get in. You know, there was definitely a period where we were stuck. We were stuck here or stuck in our homes and we're not allowed to get in. So finally they lifted it and I was like, let's do this. So I went on pilgrimage, um, not like an official one. It was, it's more like me and a couple other people. And we did a two-week pilgrimage. And when we got to our Glastonbury uh, stint, um, the portion of our, our trip, um, we had a private booking at the White Spring. And um, I was alone in that same shrine space that I was in before with the other two audible uh, messages that I had gotten. And I was you know, feeling real confident this time. Uh, the first two times I was so hesitant and so like, oh, I don't know, but now I'm confident. I'm like, okay, look, I did the thing. I wrote, like, I taught the water magic. I taught a class. I taught, you know, workshops. I wrote a book. I did the second thing. I wrote the water priestess book. It's published. Like now what, right? Like you want a third book. You want me to write a third book. That's, that's what it is. Right. And all I got was a message that I would be moving to Glastonbury before the end of 2023. This is May of 2020. No, no, sorry, not before the end of 2023, but before 2023. I got the message that I would be moving to Glastonbury before 2023. And this is May of 2022. So basically they said, you know, in the next, you're going to be moving here before like the next six months um, or in the next six months. And I was super against it. I was like, <laughs> nope, that is impossible. I did have plans to move to Glastonbury. Um, those plans were that I would start planning next year, 2025. Um, but spirit was like, yeah, no, um, you're on the river. We're directing the current. And I just kept getting this message that I would be moving there before the, before the end of 2022, before 2023, before the calendar moved to 2023, I'd be moving there. And I was like, I can't because of this. I can't because of this. I can't because of this. Like, I'm not ready financially. I'm not like my son is still in high school. Like none of this is, is, it's not going to happen. And I went to the goddess temple the next day and 
I'm in meditation and every answer for how it all will come. And I was like, okay, thanks for the answers. But again, it's not going to happen. Like, it's just impossible. So the next morning, I stumble down to breakfast at my bed and breakfast, and I run into the uh, financial steward of the White Spring. And we have a five-minute conversation. And honestly, I almost missed this. Like, I almost missed my destiny by five minutes. Um, But I I didn't want to go to breakfast. I was so tired. Um, I was exhausted. I was just, I had made the decision I wasn't going to go to breakfast. And spirit just kind of pushed me out of bed. And I stumbled down the stairs, just real disheveled and just like, ah, it's morning. I need coffee. And the people I was traveling with were like, this lady owns, like, she doesn't own it, right? But but the, this lady, like, runs the White Spring. And, and I was like, what? How did I not know this? And part of the work that I'd been doing with my water priestess work was I had been doing interviews with other water priestesses. I'd been finding other people, other women um, that were deeply connected with water and interviewing them in order to kind of um, bring our path to light and to help shine a light on other practitioners because I knew that there were other people out there that loved and connected with water as much as I did. So I end up talking to her and we exchange phone numbers because I really want to interview her for my blog and get her in my interview series. And all summer, all summer, we play phone tag where like, it's not a good time for her. It's not a good time for me. Then, you know, we go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then finally, I, the, these words of, you know, like I'll be coming back to Glastonbury before 2023, um, are echoing. And at this point, I thought that I've heard it wrong. And it's that I just need to return before 2023. I've convinced myself I'm there's no possible way I can move there. Um, and so I book another flight and I come back to Glastonbury the last week of August, first week of September. And I get to London and I just decide to text her and see if she's available. And she is. And so I end up uh, going over to her place and, and starting our interview. And we start interviewing each other about water. And by the end of it, we had like hatched a plan and we were going to be um, uh, purchasing uh, Chalice Orchard, which is um, the uh, former property of um, two other authors. Uh, One is Jeffrey Ash, who wrote a lot of books on King Arthur, but before him, it was owned by the famous occultist Dion Fortune. and the idea was that we were going to come together for this project and that I was going to move in and we were going to renovate it and um, it was going to auction. And so we had to move fast. So we put my homestead, I had two, two acres with a beautiful creek and just lush flower gardens in the Pacific Northwest, put that up for sale and put the offer in. And the next thing you know, uh, it is October and I'm packing boxes. And 45 days later, I'm on a plane with two suitcases and I arrive in late November, just very like shocked and being like spirit told me has been telling me for the past six months, like that this was going to happen and it it was impossible. And I'm here like what? 
So as soon as I got here and as soon as I got myself settled, well, semi-settled, I'm still unpacking boxes. So as soon as I kind of found my footing, I walked right over to the White Spring and I said, can I volunteer? Um, this place has changed my life three times over. Um, let me just sweep floors. Like, like I'm in service to sacred water. This is the most sacred body of water I know. And like, just let me help. And they needed help. They were low on keepers at the time. And so I started keeping uh, just one day a week. And then that turned into two days a week. And then um, the ceremonial, the ceremonialist retired recently back in um, the fall. And uh, because I have experience um, hosting large rituals for communities, um, Pagan Pride Day, I did several Pagan Pride Days in Phoenix and in Portland, the Mermaid Parade, um, all sorts of things. Like I'd been, you know, facilitating rituals, um, public rituals for large swaths of people, anywhere from 100 to 200 or the Mermaid Parade, which was like a thousand dressed up mermaids. Really? Uh, oh, that was so amazing. The Mermaid Parade was, it was the last, uh, I did it did it two years in a row, but the last one that I did was so amazing because we had, I think that she said there was about 1,500 mermaids there that day. And yeah. we out and it had this huge bowl. I mean, when I say huge bowl, it's huge. Um, and we had it in the middle and a hundred, or I guess this, this thousand, this thousand people, these thousand mermaids, we all chanted together uh, the words that, um, like the theme of it, um, it was like equality, equity, and unity, um, you know, and we chanted all of us over and over and over and we charged this bowl of water. Um, so all of these mermaids who live in Portland, like this is what they want for their community. This is the energy that they want for their community. Um, and, um, you know, we, we chanted it and we charged that water um, together. And then the mermaid parade starts and they begin their procession. And I took that huge bowl of water with help um, down to the river because we, we did the ritual on the river's edge. And then I poured all of that charged water right into the river and spread that message out for all of Portland. Anyways, I got my side quested there. So um, because I have this experience, when the ceremonialist retired, everybody was like, well, who's going to do it now? And I was like, well, I can do it. Like, if you want me to, I'd be happy to. Um, and so now I am the ceremonialist for the White Spring. But if you went back in time to 2012, when I first like was in awe of this space and was like, hey, in 10 years, like you're going to be living here. You're going to be, you know, helping to uh you know hold space and you're going to be facilitating the rituals i would smack you like if i went back in time and told myself that i'd smack myself because i would never believe that that is the trajectory that i would be on and i think that if i'd known it maybe not it maybe wouldn't have happened that way mm -hmm. uh, but but there there's the story um uh, in a nutshell i'm sure i've missed out a whole bunch of little parts um but uh now i get to spend my days um doing things like writing working with my own water priestess students i have water priestess training um and i also have a water priestess confluence um that's coming up april 5th 6th and 7th 
um, with 43 water priestesses and watery women speaking about water. Um, and like Beta Austin is one of our keynote speakers, but we've got everything from water science to healing with dolphins to Aphrodite rituals to, um, you know, some of the uh, sacred bathing. I mean, there's so much. It's all on the website. Um, so I spend my days either doing that or being in service uh, to Sacred Waters of Avalon uh, at the White Spring. So wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, you know, we loved your sharing the other night, and but listening to it again is just really, I mean, what a journey you've been on and, um, you know, what a difference you're making to the waterways and the springs and, <clears throat> excuse me, to help other people. So fantastic. And I like the sound of the mermaid, uh, yeah, the mermaid day. That must have been an amazing sight to see. Oh, yeah. We don't have oh. anything like that over here. Well, not on that scale anyway, not mermaids, but you never know. <laughs> it's Port Portland is uh, a very unique town. It has a lot of vibes like Glastonbury, but think of it on a bigger scale. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the unofficial mascot for Portland was keep Portland weird. And um, our unofficial, the unofficial, like maybe he was official, I'm not sure, but um, he would wear like, there's this, this guy that would ride a unicycle and wear a Darth Vader helmet and play bagpipes that like flame um, whenever he blows into him, but he can change it up. So for the mermaid parade, he dresses up like a merman and he rides his unicycle with his bagpipes that blow bubbles. Um, so this is what like you can kind of imagine. Yes, lots of bright colors. Um, and it was it was so much fun. It's actually put on by a lady named Una, Una the mermaid. Um, she's a professional mermaid out of Portland. So right. Um Diane says, have you witnessed the rising rising of the dragons from within the White Spring? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of dragon energy um, here in Glastonbury. No, definitely. Um, and there seems to be even this year, like, like they were present and you could feel them, but it feels like they're waking. Um, I have, I have experienced some really interesting things um, everywhere from just like feelings of like, whoa, I can't see what's going on, but I can feel something going on to seeing, like visually seeing portals open um, and like energy, like different energies come through. Um, there, there's been so many times where I've just been like, like just shocked at like what I'm seeing and just being like, what what is happening here? Um, but yes um the the red and the white dragons um and there i believe that there's more um but these uh these dragon these dragon energies are so so potent and powerful um and we do honor them in the spring which is so interesting um kind of unofficially like we don't have a dragon altar but all of us seem to have this connection with dragons um and it's it's so present the the white dragon that energy is the like spirit of the white spring itself um and sometimes you can feel it and sometimes i feel like the mists of avalon that we see are like the kind of steam coming mm. out of the nostrils of the dragon um and in dreams lots of dreams yeah. right carol says the waters of avalon the area was once surrounded by water and there's a very old canoe 
found uh, in God, nearby Godney, which is carved out of an oak, which is still and was still is in a room at the back of the old tribunal building in the high street. I have seen that. So yeah. unfortunately, I don't know why, but the tribunal building has been closed for a really yeah. long time. Yeah. Um, but in 2018, when I was here, uh, it was open and they have all of the artifacts from those Celtic Lake villages. And I saw that canoe. Um, and um, it's very interesting to see. There was also um, an effigy, um, a goddess-like figurine that was found in the, um, the marshes. Um, and it's kind of called like the Glastonbury goddess. It looks, it's, it's a wooden carved uh, effigy, very, uh, very crude. Um, but it's believed to yeah be like a glass right. goddess. And Carol's Carol's written a poem, which is up in the Delhi in Glastonbury um, at the back. And when the dragons awake from the dream time and are seen on Glastonbury tour, the the power will return to the people, and we we will be mighty once more. And it goes on. So have a look when you're in there next. Yes. Well, what so you've come this far and you've achieved and you're still very young so what else do you think is in the pipeline for you i don't know oh really uh, <laughs> i don't know um i i'm i'm in this place of having just transitioned here yeah um and um and and things are, are rapidly changing um, I, you know, I, I never would have guessed back in 2012 that this is where I would be in, you know, 10, 12 years. So in another 10 or 12 years, I'm not sure. Um, I, uh, I suspect that the, uh, we'll continue working on the project here at Chalice Orchard, um, which is, we don't know where that's going yet. Um, we've got a lot of ideas, um, but we know that acquiring it was like super important to, mm. Um, protecting the landscape here in Glastonbury, um, reconnecting um, the the lines, removing um, man-made boundaries. Um, and so I'm really excited to see what the Chalice Orchard Project is going to evolve into. Um, I won't say what we, what's, you know, some of the ideas because I don't know which one's going to come to yeah. fruition, but it's definitely going to be something bigger than, than it is. Um, you know, the idea is that it, that I live here for several years as we kind of work on what the next phase of this place is, but not that like this will be my forever home. Um, so, but that could change. I mean, anything, anything, oh, yeah. is possible. you never know. But, um, but the idea is that like, I'm here now, we're going to work on restoring everything and I'm seeing where that takes us. With um, so that that's like my work here specifically with Chalice Orchard, um, but you know I spend my free time when I'm not doing all of my watery things, which is funny because I spend my free time when I'm not doing my watery things, doing watery things. Um, <laughs> so I love to visit um, Sacred Springs, and I love going around to all of these Sacred Springs that are here in England, like these really obscure ones that are you know, nobody knows about and it's tucked at the back of a graveyard. Um, and it's just this most peaceful and serene place. Um, I also, I would love, I would love to do some water retreats here. Um, 
I, I do think that that is on the horizon for me. Um, my intention was to start that already, but no one tells you how hard an international move is. Um, <laughs> and I'm definitely not in my early 20s anymore. Um, so so it, it's, it was harder this time than it was when I moved to Japan. Um, but um, so I, I, I think the sacred wells are probably going to continue to be um, at the forefront of, of my practice. Um, and I just, I want to keep, you know, raising awareness for water, sacred practices around water. Um, you know, in general, um, my, my life goal is to help people to understand and restore this sacred, this sacred understanding around bodies of water. So that once, because all, all water is sacred, all water is sacred, but yet we treat it like it's a commodity corporations grab it they sell it back to us they pollute it um you know they water is being destroyed and so part of my path as a water priestess is a water protector um and to to help other people out there find out what their flavor of water priestessing is so that they can become water protectors or they can become you know uh ritual facilitators or um a student of mine a lovely budding water uh water priestess student of mine has been working on her own book um, called Heal the Water. And um, you can actually, I think, pre-order it on Amazon. Um, and it's all about um, energy medicine for restoring our natural bodies of water. So rituals and Reiki and all this kind of stuff to really help to do the energetic work that needs to be done alongside the physical work because it's not enough that we just go out and pick up trash, right? Yeah. The energy signature of that trash lingers. And um, so this energy work that she's been doing um, and, and now writing a book on is to help restore it energetically. Um, and so it's like such an honor that I got to kind of be her guide and that my work inspired hers um, because I'm not writing a book on that. And I had no intention on writing that. Um, so I'm so excited for her and I'm so proud that she's doing that work because there's other people out there that will then find that work. So one little pebble dropped into a pond creates the ripples. So I would love to just keep creating ripples of change, protection, healing and bringing this idea of sacredness to water once again and then see what happens with that mm -hmm. i'm just gonna let water lead because it has brought me absolutely everything that i've ever wanted um i absolutely wanted to live in glastonbury i absolutely wanted to be in service at the sacred uh, at the white spring i absolutely wanted all of this um but again i, I never thought it could happen so I'm open to the possibilities. Fantastic. So one last thing before we close. Um, is there, for people that, you know, sit by water or, you know, walk along the water, what, and they've not done blessings before, is there a simple blessing that you could share so that people can start blessing the waters and we can all start making more of a difference? Absolutely. So we know that water amplifies. First off, we know that water picks up things and amplifies it and, and sends it back to us. It can communicate with us. When we speak love to water, we see that the water crystals um, become hexagonal and beautiful. 
when you look at the work of like Beta Austin, um, who is using Petri dishes and charging them with certain energies or pictures that the water picks that up in the when she flash freezes it she picks it up and it mirrors it back to us so just knowing those basic things um and also that sound and vibration also deeply affect the water so knowing those things there's anybody anybody can walk along a shoreline and use energy medicine song their own words, or if you are a really shy person and you don't want to be, you can't sing, you don't want to be seen chanting at the side of the water, um, then you can use symbols. So let me back up just a second here. So one thing that you can do is as you're walking along the shores, you can pray, you can sing, you can speak, and you can chant um, your intentions. Maybe this is somewhere that's so precious to you. And so, and it's clean and you think about what's happening in the world and you don't want this to happen to your local body of water. You can weave in words of protection. Simply things like chanting something is, it doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to, you know, be rhythmic. It could just simply be like, this water is protected. Um, this just, you are protected, protection, a call in protection. And you can just say this. Right. Um, same thing with healing. If your body of water has experienced some trauma, um, you know, you can say things like, I heal you or find your favorite song about healing and heal uh, and sing that healing energy as you're walking along. But if you don't find power in in your voice or if you find like you're real timid or shy, there's other things that you can do. And this is so much fun. And teach your children how to do this because they will love it. Um, and we all did it as kids. So if the place is very sandy, um, then just pick up a stick or a rock or just simply your finger. Um, and as you're walking along the shore, uh, let's just use healing as an example. The Choku Rei symbol for Reiki, that's very, very popular. Most people know that. You start, when you start off, you draw your Choku Rei symbol into the sand and <coughs> Loud, or, or you don't have to say it out loud. <coughs> then you walk a little bit more, and then you're, you're feeling, okay, it's time for another one. And you draw that symbol into the thing. And you keep walking and keep walking and keep walking. Now, what happens is, as the water comes in, the ocean tide or the, the river rises, it ends up grabbing that symbol in the water and pulls it out um, into the water itself. So it absorbs it. You can actually see like you've got the symbol in the, the and we've, we've all done this at the beach, right? Where you've like drawn a little heart or something. And then we watch the wave come and kind of grab that and wash that back into the water. So you can do that. Another thing that you can do if you want more lasting type of energy um, is arrange rocks or shells or sticks in those same patterns of protection or healing um and uh and, and and just focus that energy and see do a visualization at the same time and see the body of water that you're working with really receiving that energy receiving that protection or healing um and being changed and then visualize it as the change fantastic well Thank you so, so much. I've so enjoyed listening to you. And, and being a water person anyway, um, I should be implanting, implant, can't even say the word, I put more it, actions into different waterways and what have you. So um, 
So thank you, thank you, thank you for being our guest this week. It's been an absolute thank delight you. and I wish you well. And I'll probably see you out and about in Glastonbury. Yes, probably. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I had a great time sharing my story. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was really nice. And same time, same place next week. And we'll be on a water theme again. That's it. <laughs> okay. Thank you.